talked to a relative in California and she said, to get people here on Christmas morning, the church is inviting everyone to come in their PJs. And I said, well, but we're not meeting till 11 o'clock. And she said, oh, that's when we're meeting at 11. <laughs> so we'll be anxious to hear how that worked. Let's pray. <laughs> Lord God, we are here. We ask that your Holy Spirit be with us, animate us, open our hearts to whatever it is that you have for us on this day. Help us to be mindful of your holy presence. And we mean holy presence. What you have done for us, we can only begin to grasp. And I pray most earnestly that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together will be acceptable to you. For you are our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. Last night, um, the Spirit was with us, the crowds were here, and it had just this late-night feel of expectancy. And I've never preached on Christmas morning before. And it is so interesting how the feeling is different, but we must ask the Lord to help us receive what it is that he has for us this day, because it has so much to do with him and so little to do with the world, even the relationships we hold dear, so little to do with that and so much to do with him. Jesus was born and he lived and he lived in the world and he lives now and he was God and he is God and he is here whenever we invoke his presence and he is here when we do not invoke his presence. And there are numbers of names and designations, titles and metaphors for Christ, but none of them can completely capture who he is. It's like describing air. How do we do it? We know he's the king. We know he's the good shepherd. We know he's the sacrificial lamb. We know he's the son of God, the son of man, the Messiah. He was given the name Jesus the title Christ, which is the Greek word for Messiah. And in Handel's Messiah, the names are used from the prophet Isaiah that he is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And those are the four names that we're going to look at or designations, culminating with the statement of Jesus himself when he says, I am the light of the world. All his names are woven together in his light. It's Isaiah 9, 2 through 7 that we get the names that we're going to use. Wonderful counselor. And at the time that Isaiah prophesied this, counselor was someone who would be an advice giver in times of war, an advocate on how we, the nation can gain political power and be victorious. But Christ operates from wisdom. In fact, Christ is wisdom, not an advice giver. Not really. Christ can't be manipulated into worldly terminology. Christ is spiritual truth. He's not about worldly fact-finding or building up cases. Sometimes I want him to be, but he just isn't. He is over and he is beyond and as a theological aside, I don't know how many times I've told you this, but I'm feeling 
a desperate need to impart as much as theology as possible. When we look at the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, every part of the Trinity contains all parts of the Trinity. So it's God the Father who's also the Son and the Holy Spirit. God the Son who's also the Father, God, and Holy Spirit. God Christ is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is also God in Christ. That's what the Trinity is. So yeah, Jesus Christ is God's wisdom, the wisdom of God. Jesus Christ is God. When Jesus was a teenager, he astonished the people with the wisdom and authority, especially the authority. They said, where did he get this authority? Who is this guy? He sees things and acts beyond conventional assumptions. He will give us more truth than is possible for us to discover. And once we get this, we are on the journey. If we rely on what we know, what we perceive, and call that the truth, yeah, it's sort of accurate in some ways, but it's not the whole truth. There are things that God wants to teach and show each one of us that we cannot access on our own mere brain power. There is something about God's truth starting with him and bringing us into it. It isn't a truth that begins and ends with us. Do you know how often when we're wounded and hurt that we use that as the basis of truth? I am wounded. And so I will prove this about my woundedness. And I will build a case over here when God's truth doesn't start and end with us. It starts and ends, it doesn't end, with God. And he brings us into it. And there we are seen and known unlike we've ever been seen and known before when we allow God's truth to start with God. For example, I've been journaling a lot in the last few. You have no idea how much I've been seeking God. I always have, but oh my goodness. And the kind of information he's been giving lately is that I have taken over. Well, it doesn't feel like he's taking over sometime. It doesn't look like he's taking over, but the, I know it's the truth, and I know it's about so much more than me. God is God is God. So the counselor shows us this. When we pray for wisdom and insights, ever notice that he gives us things like fear not? Not that person did that. <laughs> it's fear not. The counselor reveals himself, and we are revealed. We are so revealed in his light, and he loves us anyway, and he leads us. And now this next one is out of sequence from Isaiah, but it follows right into this. God is the everlasting father. The counseling doesn't come through a detached source. 
the God wisdom doesn't come through the air. The God wisdom comes through the everlasting Father. Our Heavenly Father has a powerful, sustained love for every one of us. And he will never leave. And he will never abandon. And he will never turn. We are the ones who do the turning. It's not God. If we were to take the best attributes of each one of our fathers, things like fathers teaching us, fathers providing for us, fathers protecting us, all the things you could think of and put them together, we aren't even close to the attributes of God the Father in Christ Jesus. One Christmas, my brother and I, he was like kindergarten, I was maybe second grade. Our father came to us and said, I want you to come into my study because we're going to work on a surprise for mom for Christmas. And so we go into the study, and we were just talking about this. This was such a vivid memory. And all of dad's books and papers were off of his huge desk. And on the desk were, was glue and scissors and sequins and styrofoam balls and this heavy kind of paper that looked a little bit like velvet. I remember it so clearly. And ribbons. And my dad said, we are going to make crafts. And I thought, crafts with dad? <laughs> this is really strange. And we did, and we made people. They weren't angels, they weren't choristers. We made little cones and put the styrofoam heads on, and we put sequins in their eyes and a feather on their head. We glued that on, and they had ribbons for arms. And I can describe them to you because 50 years later, they're still around. My brother has kept them. What does this have to do with God? Something lasting, creative, was made by two primary age kids 50 years ago, and the family rejoices in it. God the Father says who you are right now, your capabilities, your creativity at this very second, is what God needs, and it, it is what God wants it is, we don't have to wait until we're perfect in order to serve. Your Heavenly Father uses us exactly as we are and who we are. And I'm not saying that one incident instilled that in me. I'm saying that's what my father believed. God the Father gives us this kind of information that you are beloved. You are beloved the way you are at this moment. I will nurture you, I will care for you, I will lead you. But don't think you're not of value in the state you are now, even if you're just a little kid. The love and caring and protection and belief in his children. If we could see what our Heavenly Father sees when he looks at us, we would be down on our knees now. And sometimes when I'm brave enough, I ask God to show me what he sees when he sees a person. And I don't want to go there if I'm mad at that person because what God reveals is a person who has been hurt, a person he loves, 
and a person fully ready and able to be used by him for his purposes. That's amazing. The next designation is Almighty God, Mighty God. God doesn't have power, he is power. Just like God doesn't have wisdom, he is wisdom. When he indwells us, we actually have access to his power. There is sort of this view of Christ that we see around us in some churches, and I've got to be careful about this because I really don't want to criticize another church. But it's kind of me and my buddy Jesus mentality. I'll just carry me and my good friend Jesus around with me, and he will do my bidding, and I will be in charge, and he is my buddy. Well, last week I was talking to you about fear of the Lord. There's something about the holiness of who Jesus is that we have got to keep in view, in our hearts at all times, or the magnificent of what he has done is lost. Jesus Christ will command the worship of every single human being. I know I say this a lot. It's because I can't get over it, that every knee will bow and call him Lord. And think of all the people you know who are maybe cynical about him, don't believe him, have him compartmentalized. Everybody will call him Lord. Mighty, mighty God, who is our king, who is a special kind of prince, the prince of peace. He was born to die to ultimately rid the world of chaos, of destruction, of turmoil. And we're talking internal turmoil as well as external turmoil, and they are kind of connected. He died so we could be saved from our sins, and we need to be saved from our sins. The fruit of this salvation is peace, this internal, external peace. Freedom from anxiety. Freedom from a mind captive to worry. Captive to thoughts that are driven by anger. Peace is letting go. And the ability is not our ability, but it's Christ within us. So once he's in us, do we always know peace? Of course not. We're human, and we know that. But with Christ, we always know that peace is possible. And possible in the midst of the worst circumstances that you could possibly imagine. He is there with his peace. Peace allows our soul to be filled with light. Light. And this ties everything together. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, that's not another title or a name. That's the truth. That's what he does. That's how he functions. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. He is the light that pierces the darkness. And his light reveals everything hidden, everything fake, 
everything temporary. Do you remember when you were in college after a wild party, or maybe you didn't do that, but your pastor did, and the next day you would look in the room and you had such a blast. It was such a good time, and all you'd see is garbage and debris, and it didn't smell great, and you're going, this is the truth. This is what it was. We just needed the light to reveal it all. Evil itself cannot live in the light. Jesus Christ is the light. You know it when you encounter it. The light is what caused the shepherds to quake, caused the angels to sing glory, glory. Wise men followed it. It's a light that contains within us the essence of hope and joy and peace. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Let us pray. Lord, allow us to dare to step into your reality. It is scary because we have to give up some things, like resentments that we've been harboring, or worldviews that have become so calcified that we actually think it's the truth. Help us to think with your spirit, to be open to the reality of your presence, and to let you in. We thank you for what you have done in Christ Jesus. Amen.